0: Hey, everyone, this is Boomer Esiason, and I am so excited to welcome you to my new Game Time podcast right here on Odyssey, where every week I'll be joined by one of the world of sports most celebrated stars. Only on this podcast will you hear the full story from our guests, who I interview each and every week on my Game Time television show. Now be my guest as I welcome two-time NFL MVP and Pro Football Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner. Kurt, welcome
1: to Game Time. Hey, buddy, what's going on? It's uh, always good to, to catch up. I know you got a million things going on, but it's always, uh, always nice to catch up and talk a little bit. I have a million things going <laughs> on. I think you have a million things going on. You know, if I had to compress your
0: autobiography, all things possible, into a two-hour movie, I would have no shot at covering everything in this half hour. There's so much to talk about. We're going to talk about NFL football a little bit later on, but let's start with the film. Why did you choose the title American Underdog versus,
1: say, the book title or just simply the Kurt Warner story? Well, I mean, I I think it fits. You know, I think when people hear my story, especially from a football standpoint, uh, they see me as kind of the ultimate underdog with, you know, not being drafted and working in the grocery store and arena football and all of that stuff and getting that chance later on. Uh, But I think the great thing, uh, as you see the, the movie, Boomer, is that, we're kind of a family of underdogs, that the movie does a great job of not just chronicling my story, but sharing my wife's story, sharing my son's story, who suffered a traumatic brain injury when he was four months old, and kind of how each of us is an underdog in our own right and have our own journey. But then the way that uh, that our stories intersected uh, and together we were able to accomplish some different things. And so that to me is where that American underdog, it leans itself obviously to me because People know my story, but it really lent itself to uh, you know those other two stories as well, and that's where I think the the beauty of this movie is. The beauty of the title is, is that uh, it's a number of underdog stories that a lot of different people coming from different places can associate with.
0: Yeah, I don't know if people know this, but this movie took a decade. You know, in the making. And I'm just wondering why it took so long. I'm sure COVID had something to do with it. Maybe it helped you refine some
1: of the scriptures. But why did it take so long? Well, I think the biggest thing, Boomer, is that when we decided that we were going to make the movie and, you know, started talking to people right after I retired, uh, you know, my wife and I just said, we don't just want to make a movie. We want to make the right movie. We want to make a movie that we feel proud of. And you know, so through that ten-year period, we had a number of different writers that just didn't seem to get the story that we wanted to tell, and you know, to to, to intertwine, um, as I said earlier, my wife and my son and my story and how they all intersect and uh, have so many similarities, but we just couldn't get anybody to to really see the exact story we wanted to tell, and so we would get down the road a little bit, and then we're like, no, nope, that's not it. And, you know, the interest might fall away with one studio and you think, OK, maybe it's not going to get done. Somebody else comes in. And then finally, uh, the Irwin brothers, Lionsgate got involved and they were passionate about the story. And it was very much a collaborative effort. And that was really what got it done, even in the midst of the pandemic, where there was a time where it was like, I'm not really sure we can get this done with COVID and all the testing and all the stuff we had to do. Um, They were so committed to the movie and committed to the story and getting it right um, that that's really what ultimately pushed it over the top. You know, Kurt, movies with
0: faith as a major theme can sometimes be tricky propositions. You think American Underdog succeeded in meeting people where they are along their individual personal journey without being overly
1: preachy? Well, that's that's a big part of it. You know, a lot of people that know my journey all the way back to, to when I won the Super Bowl and I was on the Super Bowl podium and thank Jesus that my, my faith was very much out front. I was very outspoken with my faith. But what I realized along this journey is that, um, you know, when I met Brenda, I was in a different place than I was when I won the Super Bowl. I'm in a different place now. And so It was important to us uh, throughout this movie to make sure faith was a primary component because that's a huge part of of who we are. But it was also important to show the different journeys and show that Brenda was in a different place than I was. And and we weren't trying to tell people where they needed to be and what they needed to believe. We just needed to let them know that, hey, faith is a journey and it's different for all of us. And we find ourselves in different places at different times. but the most important thing is to continue to seek after, uh, you know, that faith and that relationship and what that means to each of us. And so that was an important part of this was having faith there, but also meeting people where they might be at that particular time. And, and I think we hit the nail on the head there. You know, a lot of people in maybe the Christian circles might've said, Hey, we wanted to see a little bit more faith, um. But for us, it was important to to speak to the masses and show people that where I'm at now was not always where I was. um, And I needed the right people and I needed to experience different things and I needed to figure it out for myself uh, and not just let somebody tell me what my faith should look like. Yeah. You know,
0: it's interesting. Your wife, Brenda, was an executive producer of this movie, just like you are. And, you know, look, she has a very, very strong story to tell Herself, how
1: would you summarize her part of this journey? Man, well, I mean, you know, when we talk about faith, a big part of my faith journey was watching Brenda go through what she went through. You know, for those that have seen the movie, uh, you'll understand it. For those that haven't, uh, everything from her son being injured when he was four months old um, and wondering if he was ever going to live to having, uh, you know, a, a divorce. In her marriage, to watching her parents, um, you know, die in a tornado. I mean, all these different tragic events, um, and you know, she was a former marine that got discharged from the Marine Corps because her son was injured. So many different parts and aspects to her journey that I pulled from, that that I would watch and see her strength and see, you know, how she navigated her faith with all these circumstances um, that would have been easy to just kind of go you know, God, why me? Or, you know, I'm gonna throw my faith to the side because I'm not getting the things that I want. So uh, I think, you know, her journey uh, and watching her navigate some of those struggles and some of those circumstances fed right into me being able to overcome some of the things that I faced. Obviously my things were more football related than they were life related. Um, But there's just a a strength and a character to Brenda um, that not a lot of people know but was so instrumental in me getting to where I got to and being able to fight through some of the things that I faced and so uh, to me, Everything we've done, I mean, you know, Boomer, is that we've had one of these relationships that's been in the limelight from day one. You know, they would show Brenda in the stands. You, you called the Super Bowl, right? I don't know how many times you pointed her out in the stands throughout the Super Bowl, but we really felt like this entire journey was our journey. It wasn't just my journey, and then they would just mention my wife and kids. We were in this together, and so it was very important in the movie to be able to shape her part of this story, and to be able to share that with people, and I think people have a greater appreciation for who she is. Um, you know that they maybe they didn't before when they were just kind of seeing from the outside looking in.
0: So you and I both played quarterback. You know, I didn't play during the time there was social media. You may have touched on it a little bit when you play, but we do know what stinging criticism is like and what it feels like when you are the subject matter of that. Now, you were the subject of the film. You were the producer of the film. Brenda was the producer of the film. I follow you on social media. So I saw some of the back and forth with some of the critics out there and also a lot of the people that love the movie. So give me an idea of what it was like dealing with all the things coming at you now
1: from this perspective, using your quarterback background as a help. You know, the, the biggest thing, Boomer, is I've always believed that social media is an incredible tool to create conversation. And, you know, no matter what you do, whether you're playing the game of football, whether you have a movie made about you, whether you make comments about something else, you realize not everybody is going to like everything you do. Not everybody's going to agree with everything that you do. And you have to be able to live with that and accept that. And I think that's one thing that I've learned over the years and you learn through social media is that for me, it's a platform to create conversation and it's okay to disagree. I, I'm okay with that, you know? I, I knew everybody wasn't going to like the movie, just like everybody didn't like every game that I played in the NFL, right? People think it shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. There, there's all kinds of different opinions and you embrace that part of it. But but I think the end of the day, to me, it's about being a human being, it's about connecting with people. And this movie has given us a great opportunity to do that, positive or negative, doesn't matter. Uh, it's a great chance to engage with people and to hear their side of things, um, and so um, I don't look at it like a lot of people do and, and see all the negative of social media. I think it's been a very powerful and positive experience for me, and I have no problem with someone challenging me or you know even criticizing parts of the movie that they didn't like. That's quite all right. I mean, we we, we knew it was going to be that way, and I think it's so key for all of us. You know when you look at this world as a whole, if we want to ever get where we want to get, uh, you know, connecting as communities and connecting uh, as a nation, it's going to take ha- that conversation. And we can't just turn away or run the other direction when somebody disagrees or has a differing, a differing opinion than we do. So I embrace it, I have fun with it, I have thick skin. So, uh, you know, when somebody doesn't like something that I do, I can live with that, and I can appreciate that part of it, and I'll keep being me, and I'll just move on.
0: Well, it's well said. He always sees the bright side. That's what I say about Kurt Warner. We're just getting warmed up with him. We'll chat about some of the many positive contributions he's making long after stepping away from the playing field right after this.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly.
0: Welcome back to Game Time. Kurt Warner says his football knowledge is like money. The older I get, the more I want to share. If I can help anybody to get better coaching or playing, I'm all in. And you've said it. Retirement isn't about sitting on the couch or playing 18 holes of golf every day. It seems like you got a gazillion things yourself going on right now. Broadcasting the NFL. You do uh Westwood One, like I used to do, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer calling the games or you prefer the studio show?
1: you know boom, I love the radio uh, you know it's fortunate that you moved on, so I could step into that role because it is uh it is something that I really really love you, you know it 's when you play the game, obviously you have to make decisions in four or five seconds, so there 's nothing that 's going to capture that. but I feel calling games is kind of the closest thing is you got to see what transpires you get. 30 seconds or so to kind of share your impression of what you're seeing, kind of share your knowledge. And so I really, really enjoy the the radio because it's a clean canvas, right? People aren't watching at home. They can't create their own idea of what's going on. So that is all in our hands when we're doing the radio. So I love what I do on the NFL Network. Uh, you know, I, I've enjoyed coaching in the different aspects that that I've done that. But I really, really enjoy calling games because I think it's the closest thing to having to react and process in the moment uh, and then be able to, you know, to, to positively explain something in a short period of time. I just think it's, it's the biggest challenge uh, that I have in, in all the things that I do.
0: You know, and people have to realize you absolutely love football. I mean, if you talk football with Kurt Warner, you're talking with a guy who's got a PhD in football. Tell us why you founded the website QB
1: Confidential, how it works and who would use it. Well, you know, Boom, is that, you know, when you play as long as we did, you you gain so much knowledge. And the bottom line is, is when you're all done, you're like, okay, how do I use that knowledge? And yes, I can use it to call games. I can use it to do the television work that I do with the NFL network, but I just want to help guys get better. You know, like I was this kid that was, you know, eight, nine years old and dreaming of playing in the NFL. And, you know, we just look for people to go, okay, who can help me? to fulfill my dream. Now, I've coached high school ball with my with my kids, but even in doing that, you realize I get my hands on four or five quarterbacks or five or six different coaches every year in which I can share my knowledge. So for me, QB Confidential became a way for me to go, okay, here's a chance for me to coach the masses, all the kids that are out there dreaming, the coaches that are trying to take the next step, the guys at the highest level that may not be open to reaching out to a guy like me or you and you know, saying, I don't have all the answers. Here's a great opportunity to lay out all my knowledge, something that can, can live forever and it can impact anybody that wants to grow in the game. So QB Confidential, it's made up of five parts. So I've got a blackboard portion where I talk about, you know, coverages and reading coverages and, and, you know, box counts and all the stuff that you need to gain football knowledge. It's on the field technique, it's building a playbook, it's leadership, and then it's film study. So all of those different components that if you love the game, if you're passionate about it, if you wanna chase after your dream like you and I did, I don't think there's anything else out there like it. And it just became my means of going I can't get everybody to my house and coach all these people that uh, that, that want to gain knowledge. So here's a way to put it all down uh, on a website and allow people to have access to move at their own pace to grow and to learn, and at the same time to be able to have a chance to email me, reach out to me, ask me questions, and so it's my chance to be able to kind of extend my legacy. All the stuff that people you know dropped into me and fed into me and, and, and coached me over the years, now it's my chance to take that and pass it on to the next generation. Uh, and, and it really is accessible to just about everybody, if not everybody that wants to be committed to this game. And so it's been a fun project for me. It's been a lot of work, um, but it's been a labor of love. Like you said, I love the game of football. I love the nuances. And I think there's so many great players out there that don't get this kind of coaching and knowledge. And this is my means of being able to give back.
0: You know, it's amazing. You have such a broad range of philanthropic endeavors that you and Brenda support with your time, your financial resources. Uh, It's remarkable to say the least. I don't necessarily know that everybody realizes them. Now, one of them, it's called Project
1: Treasure House. Tell me what Project Treasure House is all about and why it inspires you. So, so many things that we do in the community and with our foundations are based off of experiences that Brenda and I had. So you see the movie and you'll see some of the struggles that we've dealt with and now you gain this platform and you've been put in a position like this and now we'd like to reach out to some of the people that have experienced what we did and be able to say, hey, we were in your shoes at one time. We needed help at one point, now we're in a position to help, so we wanna do that. Treasure House is a community living facility for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So our son, Zach, suffered a traumatic brain injury when he was four months old, uh, graduated high school, and we really didn't know what else was in store for him. You know, we've got seven children. It was easy to dream for our other six children, right? They could be president, they could be football stars, they could go on to do whatever they wanted. But with Zach's limitations and challenges, it was hard for us to dream. We didn't know what the possibilities were for him. So not being able to find a place that really fit what we were looking for, we decided to create one. And so now we've got 29 different residents. Our first uh, treasure house in Arizona is completely full. We're looking to expand, but it's just a chance for those that have intellectual and de- developmental disabilities that can't be fully independent to be able to live in a community, to be able to have peers, to be able to have activities that they do together, to work, to go to school, to be able to chase after whatever their dreams are, regardless of their, you know, disabilities, uh, you know, or their limitations. Uh, or their, their lack of independence, and it has been such a joy to watch our son grow, to watch other families be impacted by this organization, and, and maybe more than anything, it allows families to now dream for what the possibilities can be if their child has to deal with some sort of disability. And so we're excited that we're full. Uh, we're looking to expand, and you know, our goal is to one day have a treasure house. Uh, you know in just about every single community. So every family like ours has that opportunity. Every child like our son, Zach, has the opportunity to live in a place where they can thrive and they can chase after their dreams.
0: Like I told you, folks, he's remarkable. The other thing I wanted to ask you, back in 2010, your first year in your retirement, you went to uh, Dancing with the Stars. I don't know if you know this, Kurt. In in year one of Dancing with the Stars and year two of Dancing with the Stars, I was invited to be the athlete and I had to say no because my teenage daughter said it would ruin her life if I went on TV and did this. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you knew that. But now I know you met uh, Brenda line dancing. So I just want to ask you, do you think uh, this analogy works? Arena football is to the NFL, what line dancing in a bar is to Dancing with the Stars?
1: Hmm. Um, I don't know. The Line dancing is isn't quite as complicated as what I had to do on Dancing with the Stars. So I think arena football has some... Uh, idiosyncrasies to it that really helped me, uh, that was different than the NFL, but uh, was more challenging than the NFL in certain ways. And so it was a great training ground for me, but I I guess maybe from that analogy, line dancing might've been a great training ground for me to get out on the dance floor and then as you said embarrass my family on national tv uh on dancing with the stars um but it was definitely challenging to do dancing with the stars but it was a great opportunity and again another chance to to not take yourself too seriously to go out have a good time and just entertain people kind of like we did between the lines
0: yeah i'm still very mad at my daughter sydney for not allowing me to do that way back in the day you know you guys faced Tennessee in Super Bowl 34. I did the game as the announcer for that. The 1999 miracle season was remarkable for you guys. I just felt like the movie kind of downplayed the Titans a little bit. I mean, they had a remarkable season, too, with Steve McNair and Jeff
1: Fisher. They did. Uh, but actually, the movie didn't even really touch that much on, you know, the Super Bowl. As, as you know, you know, we, we kind of took the approach that everybody kind of knows that part of the story. So we were kind of trying to tell the rest Of the story, but we uh, by no means were we trying to downplay the Titans, who they were, the success that they had, the unbelievable players, um, you know, that they had on on their team, Um, you know, but it was my movie. So come on. I I, I mean, I got I got to lift up my guys uh, more than the other team.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And, you know, I'm just thinking about the last play of the game. You know, of course, it's Kevin Dyson down on the one yard line. Uh, linebacker Mike Jones your teammates makes a great tackle you know Al Michaels is going crazy next to me in the in the booth I, I kind of felt from my perspective that there was no way that Kevin Dyson was going to get in so where were you watching that play from and could you tell that it wasn't quite as close as it sounded you
1: know that's the hardest thing boomer you know like on the NFL sidelines we can only go to like the 25 yard line so I'm kind of watching, you know, and that's where all the, the, you know, the players hover. So I was more towards midfield, kind of down outside of everybody else. So from my angle, I, I couldn't tell exactly where it was. So all I saw was Dyson, you know, kind of reach the ball out. And then the first thing that I did was looked up at the clock to make sure it was triple zeros. And that was the last play of the game. Then I found an official and waited for the official to wave it off. Because I could not tell from my angle how close he really was, and so there was, a, there was a couple moments there of hesitation, like, did that reach get him in? And as you said, when, when you go back and look at it, it was such a picture-perfect tackle by Mike Jones that it wasn't even really close. Like, you know, if you were on the field, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a full yard short, but from my angle, I had, I had no idea, so I had to kind of check all my bases and make sure that the, the official was waving it off, game over, and, uh, you know, and Rams win. You know, in the movie, you have a meeting with Mike Martz
0: before that season, and it seems like there's a like he's pushing you, he's testing you, and uh, you know how how accurate was that scene between you and Mike Martz, trying to get you ready to take over this team from Trent Green? It, it was
1: very accurate. Um, you have that you know, and let's be honest here, Boomer, nobody knew. Who I was, what I was capable of, you know, I was playing arena football, you know, I played one year in college. So nobody knew what I was capable of outside of myself. And so Mike's approach was, I am going to try to challenge this kid every single day in practice. I'm going to ride him. I'm going to, I'm going to yell at him. I'm going to challenge him in film. Uh, I'm going to push him and put as much pressure on him as I can, you know, to try to simulate you know, to some degree, what the pressure might be like when you're under center on a Sunday afternoon or you're playing in a big game. Now, obviously, it was never going to match that, but he was very hard on me. And, you know, there were times that, you know, like in the movie, I called my wife and I'm like, man, I, I don't know if I'm very good at all. I mean, I'm getting yelled at every day. There was a classic <laughs> interview that we did probably week three or four of the season, you know, and it was me and and Marshall and Isaac and Tory and Ricky and, and, and all the guys, and I remember the interview asking them, did you guys know? Like nobody else knew, but did you guys know how good Kurt could be? And they all just kind of started laughing and they're like, you know, actually we thought Kurt was awful because every day in practice, he was getting yelled at. Every day in film, he was getting yelled at. And we're thinking, man, <laughs> if Trent goes down, we're in trouble because this guy's not very good. And it was really just coach's way of, of pushing me. I think it was coach's way of coaching Trent Green. So a lot of times, as you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to coach always through our starter. So we're in a move in a room, and we're, you know, everybody's hearing us criticize our starting quarterback. So we'll use our backup sometimes and criticize our backup in hopes that through osmosis it gets to our starter uh, and they can learn from that. And so a lot of that was going on uh, at that particular time. I don't know, you know, to this day how much Mike believe me or didn't believe in me, um, you know, thought that he was going to break me or really was just trying to press the envelope, uh, knowing that I was going to be the backup. But regardless of why, that is very, very accurate. And, you know, I, I think, again, it showed them what I was capable of uh, with that riding and with that challenging every single day. And I think ultimately, going back to, you know, that quote that you said at the beginning of the segment is that why... Dick Vermeil and some other people believed that when Trent went down that I could be successful and I could lead this team. Maybe not play the way that I did, but they had confidence that I could play well enough with the pieces around me for us to be successful.
0: Oh, whatever he did, he did the right thing. Now, two years later, you go to Super Bowl 36 to play the Patriots in New Orleans. You go in as 14-point favorites. I felt like the game, because I did that game for radio, and I felt like the game's momentum started to shift finally in the second half in your guys' favor, you led them to a 17-17 tie late in the game. Uh, you know, they would end up putting Tom Brady back on the field, going down, and Adam Vinatieri would make the field, you know, kick the field goal. Now I've had Marshall Falk on this show, and Marshall Falk swears <laughs> that the New England Patriots were filming your practices in the
1: Superdome. Do you feel the same way that Marshall Falk felt about that? I mean, I have I have no evidence of that whatsoever. I mean, I've heard all the stories. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, the bottom line is the beautiful thing about our game, um, you know, and sometimes you think it's not quite as beautiful, but, you know, we don't play a seven game series to decide who wins the championship. We played a seven game series against the Patriots. I think we win and we're world champions. But the beautiful thing is we get three hours on one evening and whoever plays the best goes home as champion. And that day the Patriots outplayed us, they had a good game plan. Um, you know, we could sit here and complain that they were grabbing and holding and doing things, but bottom line is their approach going in was this team's faster than us and they're based off timing. We got to beat them up. We got to grab them. We got to hold them. And as long as we can get away with it, we're going to keep doing it. And as you said, they started making some calls in the second half, which freed us up. We started to score some points, but you tip your hat to these Guys like Bill Belichick and you know the great players on that Patriots team for executing a plan that they needed to execute to beat us. And it frustrated us, and, and we couldn't get out of our own way, and we couldn't make the plays that we normally make. And again, I'm not going to sit here and make any excuses. That day, we were outplayed. We didn't play our best game, and the Patriots deserved to win that football game. And and all that other stuff to me is just speculation. And, you know, we had opportunities in that game. If we take advantage of them, we win regardless of anything that did or did not go on outside of that. And that's the only thing that bothers me. To this day, it's probably the one game I think about more than any others because you never never want to get to that moment and not play your best game. Like I lost the game against uh, the Steelers, the Super Bowl, you know, with the Cardinals against the Steelers. And I was proud of what our team accomplished. I was proud of the fact that two and a half minutes to go, we were leading in that game. We had an opportunity to be world champions. We played well enough to be world champions. In 2001, we did not. You know, we didn't play well enough. You know, maybe if Tom Brady doesn't make a play, we end up squeaking the game out and winning. But we didn't play our game. We didn't play our best football game in that biggest moment. And, you know, you never want to be in that kind of situation. And that's what always comes back to me when I talk about that game. Man, I just wish we would have played our game. And had we played that, I think we would have won, but we didn't. Patriots played great, and you tip your hat to them. All right, you brought up Super Bowl forty-three. I did that game as a broadcaster, too. You throw
0: the interception right at the end of the first half, and I'm just thinking, what does that feel like? watching it getting returned because i remember saying if if he doesn't make it into the end zone and he steps out of bounds this is all going to be for not yeah. it would obviously kept you guys off the board from potentially kicking a field goal but then you bring your team all the way back and on top of that there's a great catch by santonio holmes now there's no way that you could have seen that from where you were standing
1: <laughs> no not at all um when, when Ben let that ball go, I thought to myself, oh great, this is incomplete. There, you know, there's no chance that he catches this. And then on top of that, there's like three red jerseys in that area and I'm just like, okay, good deal. Cause at that point, uh, I think we were up three in the game. And so the bottom line was, let's just hold them to a field goal here and we may get one more shot. Maybe we go into overtime, but we've kind of rallied and I felt like we had gained the momentum in that game. And so we were very confident. Um, and, you know, perfect throw, unbelievable catch. I mean, the defense was good. I mean, it's just, again, it's, it's what you appreciate about playing in Super Bowls is you want the best players to play their best in the biggest moments, and you want that to dictate who wins the game. I felt like our guys did that. Two and a half minutes to go, Larry catches it, he gets in the end zone, we're standing yeah. there going, man, our stars showed up, we got a chance to win the Super Bowl. Well, we left a little too much time, Big Ben and other great players, Antonio and company, make some great plays and they end up winning the Super Bowl. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, you step back and you go, man, that's what great players are supposed to do. And again, you tip your hat to them. We got to play in a great football game that came down to the end where the stars had to be the stars in that moment. And that's exactly what happened. That's what you want for the last game of the NFL season. That's what you want people to be able to watch. And unfortunately, somebody has got to come out on the other end and that was us that night but it was just it was a great football game to be a part of
0: yeah I know that feeling all too well by the way real quickly it was Antonio Holmes inbounds I mean yeah I think he was I mean you know, I don't
1: I mean again we, we could quickly s- I said quickly maybe the toe wasn't down but that was an unbelievable <laughs> catch an unbelievable effort so yeah I say he was in
0: All right. We'll be back to get Kurt's insights on the always relevant topic of quarterback dads right after this. Another day is here
1: and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help for your financial to do's bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Welcome back, everyone, as we continue with the great Kurt Warner, who last year tweeted a four-minute video of his high school quarterback son, EJ's workout, saying too many colleges missing out on Elijah Warner. But it's all good, Kurt wrote, because as I know, all it takes is one. The question is, who is it going to be? Who is going to get a steal? And EJ is going to play for Temple University. Uh, was he mortified
1: when you put that stuff out there on, on the uh, on the social media? Probably to some degree, you know? I mean, it's, it's that fine line is that, you know, the kids all, you know, in this day and age are tweeting out everything. Um, you know, and, you know, so the bottom line is you're trying to do everything as a dad to be able to help the recruiting process. I mean, I am not a fan of the college recruiting process in any way, shape or form. Uh, it's a crazy process. It's a weird process. As, uh, as you probably know, uh, you know, they, they pay attention to a lot of things that to me are not nearly as relevant as, as other things. Uh, but you have to play the game. It, it is what it is. And so, yeah, I think, it doesn't matter if it was part of the recruiting process or not. Anytime you tweet anything about your kids, they're embarrassed and they're like, Dad, don't do that. Don't say anything. right? We don't want that out there. Um, but again, he, he's a great kid. And I just felt like, you know, who knows? Who knows who gets to see this that would not see him otherwise? Because not every college in the country gets a chance to recruit everybody and watch film of everybody and so you use social social media as a positive and you throw it out there and you hope that maybe there's a few people that go man this is somebody that we haven't looked at and we like what he does and and who knows maybe it leads into an opportunity well it did lead into an
0: opportunity for sure you know it's interesting with everything else you got going on in your life uh, while those uh, boys of yours Cade and EJ attended high school you coached them and and Cade obviously went on to be a wide receiver with Nebraska and Kansas State Um, I'm just trying to think what kind of QB
1: dad you actually are and what was it like coaching your kids? Um, well, you know, that, that was, you know, that's, that's a different thing. You know, I mean, I know, you know, we're going to talk about the book in a second and there's a lot of listed quarterback dads in the book. I'm not sure I fit into any one specifically having played the game. I think you take on a different role as a dad. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get into coaching is because I didn't wanna be that dad sitting on the sideline that had played the game, you know, and you have somebody else coaching your son. And of course they're never gonna do it as good as you can. And they're never gonna teach him exactly what you can teach them having played the position and, and specifically, uh, you know, EJ, who's a quarterback, as you mentioned, Kate is a wide receiver. Um, but so I, I wanted to embrace that and I, I wanted to kind of immerse myself in it. So it could be more on me that, that I could coach him And uh, I could help them to hopefully chase whatever it is that they want to chase. I could help them grow in the game. And then if, you know, by any means that, you know, they didn't do what they were supposed to do or they didn't get to the point uh, that we wanted them to get to, that I could point the finger at myself as the coach and not somebody else, because I think that's a big part of what we do is we, you know our kids don't get what we want them to get. We're always looking for a reason or, you know, somebody that didn't do their part of the coach that, you know, didn't help them enough. And I didn't want to be that person. So I decided to to jump into coaching and, and be that kind of a quarterback dad. But I I tell you what, boom, it's not easy, right? It's not easy when it's your kid and you're trying to teach them because it's not just coach uh, and player, you know, it is, uh, you know, it's dad and son in the mix of all that. And you know, dads and sons have different relationships on the field and off the field. And, uh, you know, so, you know, there were times that I wasn't always proud of uh, of how I related to my kids on the football field. Obviously, it was in their best interest. I was always trying to push them uh, and get the best out of them. Uh, but there were times that my wife had to let me know after the game, like, hey, okay, we w- we got to stop doing this on the sideline. And I need you to to be more aware of this. And so I had room to grow as well as uh, a lot of dad dads did in the process, but just try to do the best I could to to help them present them with an opportunity to, to play at the next level, which both of them wanted to do.
0: You know, in the recent book called Quarterback Dads, it's a, it's a great book, and I, and I suggest that anybody that's interested in reading about quarterback dads and how to be a dad and, and the right things to teach your kid and, and how to coach your kid, it's a really good book. Now, you, you lamented the fact that your father, Gene, wasn't present in your life and that you were raised solely by your mother, Sue. So who filled the father figure for you
1: as you were growing up? Well, yeah, I'm not going to say, you know, my parents got divorced when I was young, uh, but my dad was a part of my life, um, you know, after a few years there as we went through that process. Um, but, but I had some great coaches too, you know, I didn't get to see my dad as much as I wanted to, but football was something that we gravitated to together, something that he played. And so I did learn some uh, from my father, but, you know, I was fortunate to be around some great coaches uh, you know that just invested in me, and it wasn't necessarily teaching me quarterback technique or, you know, nowadays taking me into a, you know, on the board and teaching me the nuance of the game. It was more about leadership. It was more about embracing who I was and and, and showing me what it meant to be a leader, what it meant to to work hard, to be committed to my craft, to want to be the best. Every time I stepped on a field or stepped on a court. Um, And so I was fortunate that I just had different people along the way that helped to embrace that part of it. But, you know, we talked about QB Confidential before. We can talk about some of these quarterback trainers out there. I mean, I don't know about you, Boomer, but I never had anybody that taught me how to throw a football. I grabbed a football and I went out in the front yard and I played with my, you know, with my buddies or I played with my brother. And I never had anybody teach me technique at the quarterback position really until probably college and even more so in the pros. And so these guys have a huge leg up in finding people that can help them learn their craft. But to me, it was more about learn to be an athlete. You know, we were talking a little off air that you played baseball and basketball and football, and I did anything with the ball, I'm playing. it, And so ultimately you end up learning to play the quarterback position athletically. You learn to use your body. You learn to use Technique, you learned it, you know, play in your backyard and how to throw off platform. All that stuff I did not because I had a quarterback coach, but because I played multiple sports. Now, you know, there's huge advantages for these kids now, whether it's QB Confidential, as I said, and these coaches, or you know, you just have so many more people learning the craft. Uh, But for me, it was just more about learning leadership and playing sports and just learning how to be an athlete.
0: You know, and speaking of coaches, your former head coach, Dick Vermeule, is going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this summer. Yes or no? Does he make it through the speech
1: without crying? Absolutely not. I mean, I might, I might, <laughs> might not make it through the first three minutes without crying. I mean, there is absolutely no chance. I mean, especially now as he's gotten a little bit older, uh, I think he's even gotten more emotional. You know, every time I see him, uh, there's tears that well up. Uh, every time we have a conversation. So uh, it wouldn't be a Dick Vermeil speech without numerous opportunities for him to cry. And so I expect that to be uh, very prevalent throughout the weekend as uh, he gets his gold jacket uh, and as he gets inducted. What a most
0: deserving and a great coach and a great person Dick Vermeil is. In addition to the games in London this season, Seattle and Tampa Bay in Week 10 are going to go play in Munich, Germany. Do you actually think we'll see eventually an NFL team stationed fully across the pond?
1: You know, Boom, I, I think is still going to be tough. You know, I believe that if we ever get to that point that they need to almost like have a division that's like in London or in Europe, because I just think it's a huge disadvantage for a team to have to travel that much throughout a season. Um, and again, I, I don't know how they would do alignment of the, the divisions and how far these teams would have to travel. I, I just think it's really, it, in my mind, it seems really tough to just put one team over there and think that they're not at a competitive disadvantage. But I do believe long term, you're gonna see football grow and grow uh, you know, in Europe. And I think you're eventually probably going to see some NFL teams over there. I'm just not sure we can start with just one, as opposed to maybe developing a feeder system and then ultimately maybe having a division of like four teams that play over in Europe and then, and then don't have to travel quite as much uh, you know, over here to our country.
0: All right, so we got a quarter of the league has acquired new quarterbacks for the upcoming season and I want to ask your impression of five of these quarterbacks in new places and all I want from you is good vibe or bad vibe. I know you're going to want to explain why you think good or bad, but I don't have time for that. (laughs) So I need good, bad or bad vibe. okay? Okay, good or bad. Okay, Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. Good vibe. Russell Wilson in Denver. Good vibe. Marcus Mariota in Atlanta. Bad vibe. Baker Mayfield in Carolina. Good vibe.
1: Carson Wentz in Washington. Good vibe. Again, some of these, some of these kind of teeter in the middle, but they, they lean towards good. But, uh, but yeah, I think there's a good vibe in, in, in Washington. See, I knew you couldn't help but try to explain yourself. <laughs> I
0: knew it. So it's great to talk to you, Kurt, as always. Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure to listen next week on my new Game Time podcast when I'll be joined by three-time Pro Bowl tight end George Kittle from the San Francisco 49ers, only on Odyssey. And thanks for listening. It's the Game Time with Boomer Esiason podcast. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.